Welcome to Enlisted Craftsmen, where veterans talk knives and lives. My name's Ethan Lee of E. Lee Custom Knives, and I'm joined by Garrett Elting of Steel Pig Forge and Mike Rizzo of Muffin Man Metalworks. Be sure to give us a follow at the underscore enlisted underscore craftsman on Instagram. And if you would like a question or a funny military story of yours featured on the show, be sure to email us at enlistedcraftsman at gmail.com. Fresh muffins hot out of the oven! What's going on, everybody? We are back at it once again. This week is uh, going to be our very first guest on the show. Today we have the privilege of uh, discussing uh, matters of craftsmanship here with uh, the one and only Derek Melton. So, Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. Great to have you. I think we've all got a, probably a few different questions for you, Derek. I'll... I'll start off. So how did you get into, like, you make knives, but I noticed you just made one recently, but you haven't been doing a whole lot of that. Yeah, I started in, um, well, the first knife I ever made that I put any kind of a touch mark on, I still have it. It's uh, basically a letter opener now, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's etched with the year 2001. And so that was the first um, it wasn't the first knife, but it was the first knife I like put my initials in. And I literally used one of those crazy old engravers, you know, the oh, little yeah. buzz box yeah. engravers. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Sorry, it was my dog. Um, but, and so I started doing that around 99, 2001. So, you know, doing knives. And uh, there was a, there was a guy that came to my dorm room um, in 94, actually. And he had a handmade knife. You know, back then it was okay to carry knives in the dorm. He had just come back from hunting. <laughs> and uh, he had a knife on his belt and showed me this knife. I, and uh, I said, where'd you get that? It's an unusual looking knife. And he said, well, I made it. And so, of course, I was like, well, I got to see how that happens, you know. And so I went to his house and saw his process of how he does things. And we didn't make a knife that day, but he made an... He, forged out a little arrowhead, you know, with like a ball peen textured arrowhead or something and handed it to me, you know, and I got to see all the equipment that he used that day. And, and so that kind of put the bug in my ear about making knives back then. Planted and the so, seed. Was, yeah, he planted the seed. And so for the next four or five years, I was thinking about it and started getting books and, um, you know, getting my thoughts together about, what kind of knives to make. And this was, you know, obviously before the internet. And, um, and so there was a guy that was writing articles for blade magazine back then. His name was Wayne Goddard. <laughs> and he wrote a book 
called the $50 knife shop. Yeah. He wrote a couple of books. Y'all probably know him. Um, but his, his articles in blade magazine were where I really got the idea of what kind of tools I might need. And, uh, eventually he took all those, uh, articles and put them in that $50 knife shop book. And so I got the $50 knife shop book and basically duplicated every tool in that book and set up my shop and started making knives. And then I met a a guy locally named Steve Thompson, who um, was a local bladesmith. And he had a shop in a U-Haul storage building, like, you know, one of those uh, roll up door storage. Monthly pay things. Yeah. 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 And and so he... I forget how I met Steve, but he invited me to his shop. And, uh, and so I started going to his shop about once a week and he would roll up the door on his shop and he had, he had, he had hot wired some extension cords to the different uh, buildings uh, next to him. And uh, he had a crazy handmade uh, or homemade power hammer in there. And it was just a wonderland of toys and stuff. And, he really taught me how to forge. And so he was the first guy that kind of taught me that. And, uh, and then I got involved with the Mississippi forge council and started going to those meetings. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they were blacksmithing focused, but they pretty much all those guys had made a knife, you know, a time or two. Sure. And, um, and back then, um, Terry Vandevender was attending those meetings pretty regularly. Uh, regularly and he's he's the only i think he's the only master bladesmith in mississippi but um anyway yeah that's kind of how it started was seeing this guy in college and uh seeing the knife he made and then i fell down the rabbit hole you know that's awesome Hmm. that's cool i imagine that you have uh you know a bit of another background and i mean because i just just from following you on social media i just i know that you have or that you'd take part in a lot of other forms of craftsmanship though. So you must have some other, I mean, you have, you know, was your, any father or male relatives like, you know, oh, yeah. handy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. dad. Yeah. Um, my dad, uh, was a carpenter, a very talented carpenter and, um, he's a military guy too. That's his flag up there on the, oh, uh, I was wondering on the yeah. bookshelf. Yeah. He passed away several years ago. He was a Marine combat veteran two tours in vietnam hardcore dude but he was um he was a very talented woodworker and uh pulled me into the shop with him at a really young age you know like here here's a sander sand this board over here you know and and so um so i got i got to see him do crafts craft work from a really early age and in the 80s he he really got into making this is going to sound crazy but in the 80s he he got into making wooden briefcases really you know really back then then, most guys that were going to work you know if you were a professional of any kind you were carrying a briefcase you know to work and Mm -hmm. he made these he made these ornate uh, hardwood briefcases like all by hand just really nice i've got one of them out of my shop it's 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 kind of falling apart in pieces and i've got to get it put back together but he made these wooden briefcases and he got known around the memphis area for making these briefcases and he made these handmade uh wooden briefcases for all kinds of people for a while but he was he was kind of like 
I, I, he jumped around a lot, kind of like I do. You know, he would make furniture for a while, then he'd make briefcases for a little bit. And then uh, he was also into um, model kits, like dioramas, uh, model tanks and airplanes. And because he had been yeah, okay, yeah. in Vietnam, you know, he knew what all that stuff looked like. And so he, he started competing uh, in this model, plastic model world there in Memphis and, and basically ran everybody out of the scene because he got <laughs> so good making these dioramas. And, uh, you know, he'd have this, these, he, he would hand make the wooden base uh, and then he'd build this scene around it, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. walls and a tank rolling through and the men marching beside the tank. And he would spend hours and hours painting this stuff. And so he'd do that for a while and then he'd go back to doing woodwork or something for a while. You know, he was always doing something with his hands. So I guess that's where I get it, you know. Right. Okay. Yeah. Man, those mm. dioramas, that's, that's, that takes a lot of patience to do all oh, that. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, man. Does it ever. Derek, yeah. man, where do you get all the energy? That's what I want to know. I'm 30. <laughs> Bro, my God. You're out there like crazy. Well, you know, the secret to social media <clears throat> is to make it look like you're busy. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yes. You know, probably I'm, true. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not as busy as it looks like I am. So what, what I do a lot of times is uh, I'll, whenever I go to the shop, I take pictures and video and I'm, I might spread that out over two or three days. And yeah. so it, it might look like I'm out there all the time, you know, and, but I'm not, as a matter of fact, you know, my day job is with a hospital. I do it work with a hospital. And, um, of course we work from home now. Um, and so now I'm sitting in front of my computer during the day, but I used to have to drive to the hospital and, and work, you know, the eight to five from the hospital. And so I was doing that same kind of thing with social media, you know, back then, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, I was, I was posting stuff all the time. And, and my, uh, my manager came to me one day, he kind of peeked his head around the, the, the cue ball. And he's like, okay, you are here. <laughs> I, was just, <laughs> I was just making sure because it looked like you're in the shop, you know, forging something. And, and so I told him, I was like, no, that's part of the whole thing. You know, you just, you yeah, spread it out, make it yeah. look like you're busier than you are. But do you know what, uh, do you know what I just got turned on to? Well, in recent months too, is apps now where you can just, you can plug in all that material and set it on like a timer. So oh, like, really like a schedule to post so for you. It's yeah. Yeah. Late, yeah. Called later. Yeah. The yeah. Later app. And all you, that's it, cool. I yeah, haven't heard of that. Yeah. It's like, it's like setting an alarm clock for all this content that you've recorded on your phone you can just say monday seven o'clock this that boom boom oh, huh. man yeah that would make life so easy right like, yeah because i hate well, posting stuff like i yeah. get bad at it <laughs> yeah like, i just I, I follow some people and it's their you know their social media managers that's what they do is they 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 watch the trends and and their full-time job is trying to help people blow up on social media and so they're they're studying the algorithms and they're seeing what's working and what's not and that sounds awful yeah <laughs> it is and, and so i watch these people and i try to pay attention to what they're saying and 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 they they flip back and forth between you know whether or not you should 
make all your content at one time and spread it out through the week, or if you should just kind of do it naturally through the week, you know, for a while, everybody was on this trip of, you need to sit down for a couple of hours once a week and plan out all your posts for the week, you know, Mm -hmm. and now they're flipping. So now all these people, I just saw a post about it yesterday or the day before this girl was saying, that's gone. That's not good anymore. Now what you should be doing is you should really be doing true organic content. Don't force yourself to come up with a schedule of things, you know, just show us what you're doing, you know, as you're doing it. And so it's maddening to try to keep up with all those trends because they're changing all the time. You know, I really think some, sometimes I think they don't have a clue, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) And they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. At the end of the day, none of us even have control of it, right? We have no idea what, what these right. app platforms are doing with our material, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I do think, and, though, that you have to treat it with some seriousness. If you if you want it to do something for you. Exactly. You, know, yeah. you, you, you have to put some thought and effort into it. And I kind of get frustrated when people come to me and say something like, you know, oh, you've got a big following. And I don't really have a huge following, relatively speaking, you know. Um, and they say something, you know, like, well, it must be easy to sell things because you've got this following and, and all that. And I want to say, well, yeah, I do. But you, I've spent three years busting my tail Oh yeah. yeah. Purposefully yeah. to try to build that, you know. Yeah. And build to do it in a way yeah, and to do it in a way that's authentic, you know. I mean, you all you all probably have gotten those messages from people on Instagram where they're like, Hey, guaranteed five thousand new followers in two weeks yep. if you'll pay us or mm-hmm. something like that. And those yep. are always a hundred percent a mistake, you know, to, to try to it do that. But the other part of that is that I don't I don't want people following me that I, that don't want to follow me. Right. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? I mean, if you don't like me or if you're not interested in me, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I, well, you know, something I find interesting too, Derek, is, and I think you and I talked about this whenever you stopped by the other day, but, oh, and, you know, I, I've, I've seen several knife makers on oh, Instagram and, like, when I first started following them, and then versus now, they have kind of, they may have 100,000 followers, but they still have 100,000. And sometimes I wonder if those people hit kind of the sweet spot of when they got a huge following, then they never stayed up with the consistency. I don't know what it is, but yours, yeah. like, I first started, I think, following you when you had like 1,500 followers, which is mm-hmm. about what I have now. And yours has steadily grown up to, what do you have now, like, on Instagram, almost. I'm at like 18 or 17, 18, and I'm almost at 100K on TikTok, which is a yeah, whole other, tic- you can't, you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't put any emphasis or meaning into TikTok numbers. I that was the next of, thing I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. We, well, I mean, we, me and Mike hate on TikTok. Yeah. I got a lot time. of nice things to say about TikTok. <laughs> I don't mess with it. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was saying, though, is like, I mean, yours is constantly grown. And, and I mean, if you're getting the organic, the real people that, you know, if they send you a message, oh, it's an actual person on the other end. Yeah. Like, I feel like you've probably got those type of followers, which I would yeah. rather have 
how how many you have versus a hundred thousand yeah. of them. Oh yeah. You well, know? I I have it's to all about say, interaction. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. That's that's it too. And I, I I was given a lot of help when I first started making knives. I mean, like Steve Thompson and Ramsey Green, the guys that got me started. I mean, they just threw their experience at me and gave me tools and you know gave of their time without any expectation of anything in return and then i found the same thing when i got around the forge council you know these guys were just overwhelmingly willing to go above and beyond to help and so a while back i just kind of made the conscious decision that that instead of trying to come up with content or like show flashy things or you know shake my behind on tiktok or whatever you know that the yeah. the, the best the, the best way to gain a following or to interact with a community was just to say hey this is what i'm doing right now and this is why i'm doing it and it might be super redundant to a lot of the people that are following me i mean I, when i show how i make a a railroad spike knife or something silly you know i'm sure i'm 100 percent sure that most of the people that follow me have done that before but what i've found is if i go to your shop you and i might be making the same exact thing but you're going to be making it differently than i am or you're going to be using a tool differently than i am and so i found i thought a while back i'm just going to start showing my process for everything i do and just you know just kind of put it out there that way and that seems to have been when i started to gain a, a following you know mm-hmm. and and i mean again I, I don't really i'd rather have 50 dedicated people that want to talk to me and want to share ideas with me than fifty thousand people that are just numbers you know what i'm right. saying exactly. yeah and so i and think that <clears throat> i hope that comes across you know yeah, and I mean, I mean, Ethan and I were saying once before too, and like when I think about it from a professional, well, from a business perspective too, you know, like a hundred thousand followers on whatever platform doesn't exactly translate into dollar signs or you know or professional growth either. No, not a bit. <laughs> so, not a bit. Yeah, exactly. But to your Garrett, to your original question, where do I get all the energy? I, you know. I think I just stay tired. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's not just the, it's not just all the social media interaction. Like you've got a website where you've put all kinds of information for people. Like, Mm. yeah. Have you you guys ever seen uh, Dan Camo's website, dcknives.com? He's the guy that made the BG 272 grinder. Um, he's a Canadian and he's got a website. I think it's just dcknives.com. And, um, I ran across his website probably five years ago or so. And the guy, it is one of the most prolific and helpful websites you'll ever come across as a knife maker. I think he's pretty much stock removal only, but if you think my website is helpful, I'm not even scratching the surface with what this guy is doing. Oh, I mean, wow. I know, I know who exactly who you're talking about. Dan, I think his last name is it's a French Como. name. Is yeah, yeah, Como, Como, and Como. he's got like how to make a heat treat oven, how to mm-hmm. make this grinder, 
Wow. He's got like a thousand knife patterns you can download out there. His wiring harness or his wiring diagram is how I built my, well, one of my heat treating ovens. And then, yeah. um, how I also, he had a thing on there on, uh, when I built my sand, my uh, fluidized sand bed, he had a, the beginning of that. He never finished it. Yeah. I mean, the guy just, he had it all. Everything. He, he ultra documents everything he does and then he just throws it out there on the web. And so um, I started building a, a belt sander years ago. It was the second belt sander. It was going to be my first belt sander where I could put tooling in, you know. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and so I found his plans for the BG-272, which is a pipe frame. It looks like the original uh, OBM grinders, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's just super easy to put together. And 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 so I wanted to put a VFD on it because I wanted multiple speeds and adjustable. And mm-hmm. I wanted a fairly nice grinder. And so I reached out to him, sent him a message on. He was on Facebook at the time. He's not on Facebook anymore, but um, sent him a message. And I said, hey, you know, I'd like to put a VFD, but I don't have a clue about how to wire it. Man, the guy replied with like, six hand sketched out drawings for how to wire the VFD up. And, you know, it was just super helpful. And, and without his help, I wouldn't have gotten that first grinder put together um, as fast as I did. And so when I started my website, that was one of the things that I wanted to do is I was like, well, I'm going to, that, that was such a big help to me that that's kind of my idea behind the website. It's totally not a new thing. You know, Dan, has done a much better job with it than I have, but it, I kind of modeled my information dissemination model, so to speak after Dan, you know, cause that guy yeah. is like the king when it comes to sharing information. I, hmm. I, I remember messaging him on Facebook years ago about getting an oven hooked up and he, yeah, sent me back a straight hand drawn. This goes to this and this goes to this. And yeah, I said, well, I don't have this, cool and then he's like, "Okay, well, he redrew it so that I can." He's well, like, this is how to do it. And I was like, maybe, okay. he, maybe he just does that the way sketches the way that Gary does uh, social media content. He has, <laughs> right. he just has sketches saved. Just yeah, just whatever. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I got a sketch for that. Hang on." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Way to do it. Yeah. yeah but what so, else? Uh, so I did. Uh, I noticed you, you were you were prepping for what was it a a five k or a half marathon or something? Or did you do that or no? Oh uh, yeah, I did one. I did run around Christmas time. So um, so that was what a I cool ran... seventy degrees in Mississippi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Bad. Actually, it was kind of chilly that day. I think it was in the forties. It was in the forties that day, so it was kind of cool. Oh wow, yeah, but. Sure. That's so, cold for down here. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to turn 50 in July. And uh, I think it was, I was like 37, 38 years old. And uh, I was the heaviest I'd been in a long time. And I got on this kick uh, that I was just going <clears> to <throat> get in shape. And so for about seven or eight years in a row, I I did nearly every 5k that was offered around me and i did a bunch of local triathlons and i did uh 
a bunch of half marathons. I did one full marathon, but for a long time I was running, you know, on a really pretty frequent basis. And then, uh, matter of fact, the year after I ran my half marathon, my full marathon, um, I wasn't quite trained up as I should have been for it. And I kind of injured myself a little bit and I got out of the running habit for about a year and then COVID hit. And, and so my running habit just went in the toilet and I just have not gotten back to it the way I want to. But that, that race before Christmas was kind of the first time I'd been able to keep a run habit for longer than like three months. And it's bad because, you know, when you have a run habit or an exercise habit for years in a row like that, and then you get out of shape, your mind is still, <laughs> your mind still thinks you're in shape, but your yeah. body is not there. Yeah. And so I could push myself mentally harder than I could push myself physically. And so I was, every time I would kind of get back into the routine of running, I would injure myself mm. because I was pushing harder than I should, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of did that again I, around Christmas time. Yeah. When I, when I get into those, you know, the physical fits where you're, where you're just kind of, you got a good routine going and stuff. Uh, I, I, I tend to have quite a bit of patience with like easing into that and stuff, but, uh, it's it's amazing what can happen when you when you fall off, whether it be you know mentally or you get hurt. I mean, it's you know get getting that routine going is easier than getting back on the horse. Yeah, yeah. So seems like whenever I get a routine going, I always get sick. Like that's what's <laughs> happened to me the last God, in the last year. Sick. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like I, every I'll get I'll get three weeks of running in. I, and then and then something happens. I get sick or I get injured or something. That's been this last year. I, I feel like yeah. there's more to that, Gary. Like, yeah, I get a good routine going and then my camper catches fire. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some random stuff that happens yeah. sometimes. All right. <laughs> really odd situation. I used to get a little bit more bent out around the axle about my run habit. You know, if I missed a week or something i'd be you know frustrated about it and now i'm just like well you know i'll get back to it when i get back to it so that's 50 I hope years I get back of to it. That's, that's 50 years of wisdom yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's also i just uh, i've injured myself so many times now with uh trying to push it too hard i'm just like all right if i if i want to consistently run again i've got to ease into it mm -hmm. Yeah, oh man! So I now 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 that I just thought about it, do you have uh, railroad spikes coming out of your ears? <laughs> you would think that. Uh, actually, I ordered some again the other day because I was running low, and uh, I got notice in the mail today. They've stopped delivering them to my house. So my <laughs> I order a hundred of them at a time, and you know that's a pretty heavy box, and. Um, the 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 woman that delivers our mail has just refused to bring them <laughs> to the house anymore. So now I just get these slips in the mailbox, and I know what it is. You know, so mm -hmm. like, okay, I got to go pick up the this the box of spikes. I didn't know that you that anybody ordered them. Yeah, I I I figured what I meant by that is you buy new you know, your neighbors or just people that know you would be like, here I found five more. You know, you know I, on your porch. <laughs> so when I when I first, when I first started making stuff out of railroad spikes, 
I was doing what everybody does. And, you know, if you say this online, you'll start a fight. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I was picking them up wherever I could, you know, take that mm-hmm. for whatever you want. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so I was picking them up from wherever I could and, and people were giving them to me. As a matter of fact, a lady that lives two doors down the street from me, um, called me one day and said, I've got something in here you might want. And, um, so I went over there, her husband had passed away a few years ago and she had a metal bucket completely full of brand new spikes. Oh, nice. like her husband oh, wow. had found it somewhere. And so that was the first big batch of new spikes that I had ever used. And so I started making everything from all these new spikes and I realized it's a whole different well, world. Yeah. How much yeah. nicer it was. And the consistency that I was getting out of those new spikes. And I was also tired of people saying things like, you know, the typical stuff you hear about railroad spikes, like it's illegal to use them. It's illegal to own it. It's all that mess, which is all, you know, fake. And, and so I just said, you know what, I'm selling so many of these things. It's, it's worth the dollar and a quarter you know, so per spike to buy. Right. Yeah. And, and so now I've got a pile of receipts that if anybody ever challenges me on where I get my spikes, you know, I'm covered. <laughs> I'm not worried about it, but there's, um, there's some guy and I think he's in Texas. He's got a website called GetSpikes.com, And, uh, that's where I've been ordering from. And it's, it's not as cheap as ordering them, ordering them in bulk from the spike manufacturer, which you can, you know, guys like Andy Alm and, um, yeah, that's like all he does. Yeah. Um, who's the other guy? Cowan. Um, the other guy that does all the railroad spike bottle openers. Craig oh, Cowan, oh, I think is his oh. name. Um, yeah. Oh, you, you had me thinking of uh, the guy who owns uh, the Barefoot Forge. He makes a lot of bottle openers. Yeah. He's, yeah, that's him. Craig oh, that's Cowan. his name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Craig Cowan with uh, Barefoot Forge. He was telling yeah, me yeah. that he... He orders all his, you know, brand new on a pallet from the railroad spike manufacturer. And he gets them for like, I think they're like 70 cents a piece or something. But um, I order them from getspikes.com and I get 75 of them for like a hundred bucks. And mm. so that that works for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't know there was things. the... No, go ahead. I didn't know there was the online hatred for railroad spikes. Oh, oh yeah. gosh, it's stupid. It's and I've it's, never, especially, it's never, it's never ending. Yeah, and especially it's hot. it is a hot topic yeah, all the time. Especially if you decide to make a knife out of one, everybody that's not good steel. <laughs> it won't yeah. hold anything. Oh, well, well the, the the not good steel thing I have heard. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, but oh, like, it's yeah. It's it's constant. If you if you post about it, you're gonna get you're gonna get heat for it in in some form or fashion. You're either gonna get the people who want to tell you why it's not a good knife, which you know, duh. Um, you're gonna get the people that tell you you're stealing from the railroad. Um, you're gonna get the people that tell you um, um, why would you make a knife from that? You know, that's a stupid looking knife or something. You know, you're gonna get all that stuff, but. I just have the same response every time anybody says anything about it. It's like, I've never made one that I didn't sell. Right? Yeah, exactly. Ever. ever. I've, I've just, made some other stuff that didn't sell. You know, I just, but uh, those things sell all the time. 
I just had the same thing happen with something totally different. I just made a, a, a knife out of cable Damascus from like an elevator cable. And I left the cable as the handle because it was only oh, yeah. like it yeah. was like an inch or inch and a quarter diameter. It felt good in the hand and it was a cool looking thing. And the half half the crowd was like, man, that thing's got to be too heavy to do anything with. And then the other half was like, how much for it? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it was, you know. Take my money. Take my <laughs> yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's it's because it's got story with it. You know, you can see the right. story for that item, and I don't know. It, yeah. You know, I never do. Like people well, wouldn't normally have a, that. Either. It's a novelty piece. Nobody's asking you to defend yeah. your homeland with it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But you know what? Um, there was this guy on YouTube for a while, and I. I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but he was doing kind of a lot of blacksmith stuff from time to time. And uh, I'll try to remember this guy's name so we put it in show notes or or a link in the show or something because it's a pretty fascinating video. But this guy does the journeyman smith test with a railroad spike. Oh, Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. And he he gets it all the way through. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the one test that it doesn't pass is the is the full on bend test, but he chops through the two by four, cuts hair off his arm. Yeah, Yeah, forever. You know, (laughs) but 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 at the end of the day, got or did it does it does pass the test? You know, and and so it's like anybody that says it's a lousy knife, yeah, it's it's not a high performance knife, but you know. It's it's way better than some bronze age, you know, knife that they were making. Way better than a rock. Yeah, yeah, it's better than a rock. And so, yeah, so whatever. You know, I, I never expected to be making as many things as, as I have out of railroad spikes. But, you know, like I said, I've never made one that didn't sell. So I'll, I'm going to keep making them until they quit selling. I'm going to have to buy me some new spikes because I don't have any new spikes. And- yeah. I've 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 just love using the new ones now because all my tooling I've got all my measurements I know exactly where to make yeah. my forge marks and you know you buy the longer every time. ones or I think the ones I'm using are the standard six and a half inch okay. by five eighths. Um, you know uh, another thing about those is um, there's a a guy that's in my forge council in the Mississippi Forge Council. His name is Lyle Wynn. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a forged and fire guy too. Yeah, I'd, extremely I'd, talented blacksmith. I took like, a hammer class from him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He 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 learned under. Uh, well, he he spent a lot of time traveling with Brian Brazil and Alex Steele and and all those guys. And um, anyway, he's a super talented blacksmith. But he did a demonstration for us at the Forge Council one day where he brought a Rockwell tester, and he Rockwell tested like four different uh, railroad spike blades in four different kinds of quench medium, you Mm -hmm. know, and he, uh, the one that worked the best was done in super quench, Mm -hmm. you know, that dish detergent, salt water, brine kind of mix, you know? Yep. And um, I want to say it tested in the high mid fifties or something like that. Rockwell, you know, which, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, that's right. And so it was it was interesting just to see that you could get a decent level of hardness out of it. Now, you know, how deep was that hardness? I, who knows, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. 
but it did it got hard enough to hold an edge you know so yeah that's one of those never-ending things i could right, talk yeah. for hours about how stupid it is to argue over it but you know what i mean i don't know how much you notice derek on your on your page but like now that i'm thinking about it too the the railroad spike pieces they they do something to trigger the algorithm too and i think that's really those pieces have gotten like some of the most activity out of my page too oddly enough like you know in terms of likes or whatever like on facebook or instagram or both I, I would say I would say Instagram and I mean I don't have I mean I don't really have a large following but like uh, uh, like I just I tend to know like sometimes the algorithm will just take something that you've posted and really run with it like you know what you just hundreds of likes will just happen instead of was you know oh, yeah right it has to do with time of day and stuff like that too but like uh, I've I've actually noticed that anything that I've posted that's either me twisting a railroad spike or like the spike knives and stuff. I mean, if you went and look back at my material, I mean, that's those are definitely in like my top five for like, uh, you know, like counts and stuff like that. I don't know what it does there. Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised for there to be uh, algorithms or or. um even artificial intelligence. I mean, because Facebook is using AI to analyze uh, decisions and topics and all this kind of stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, to, Mm -hmm. to, to discover that Facebook, uh, uh, the artificial intelligence or the algorithms understands that whenever that topic comes up, it's going to generate an argument you know, and that it will promote that or put it in front of more eyeballs. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I do know for a fact, one of the, one of the posts on TikTok that I had that has the most engagement was one where I talked about whether or not a knife made from a railroad spike was a good knife or not. And um, it was like, huh. a, literally it was like a 30 second post and i'm i still get i get comments on that thread um if not daily at least weekly and this was weeks and weeks ago and people are still arguing about it wow (laughs) yeah well i'll tell you something that amazes me about the uh the whole algorithms and everything is just in general how smart the stuff is so have you ever had a picture of you and facebook pops up says is this you and it not be you hmm think about that yeah that's that's i have never seen that not be me or not be someone else do you know that is this this person and it always is them it's it's kind of scary you know yeah we uh We can we can talk about uh, something else <laughs> that's not scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about how about some tire hammers? Since uh, oh, I own shoot, one yeah, now, yeah, yeah, you have one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should ideas. tell Mike what you told me about the the pulley or the the idler wheel. On oh, your... so yeah, yeah where you was your tire them? hammer made? I made mine um, at the Virginia Institute of Blacksmithing. Okay, so. Does yours have the solid 70 pound ram or the solid yeah, ram? Yep. Okay. So you've got the machined ram in it. Yeah. Um, so yours has a heavier 
yours has a heavier bottom ram and do you know offhand what the diameter of your tire is uh is i can tell 16? you it's it's pretty large um so you know there's there's tire hammers dave custer made some tire hammers for a while with a with the full size auto tire you know and then yeah. but the original design i think for the clay spencer tire hammer is is supposed to be the spare tire or a smaller diameter um it's you know not as fat it's a thinner kind of tire and it's designed to hold a higher pressure yeah and so, so to be stiffer yeah mine um, mine uh mine's a spare tire but uh it's off of like a dodge caravan i think because it even says like plymouth it's got a plymouth stamp yeah but um <clears throat> but it's but it's a larger spare tire compared to we we had each my class had you know basically junkyard spare tires so like they're all different sizes but i had one of the largest ones yeah so w what i was telling ethan is that uh, after the first class um the guy that brought all the parts to our class um was named Curtis Herman he builds tire hammers and he builds tire hammer parts and he sells the parts he sells the hammers but he supplies all the parts for that build in Louisiana at, at John Perlow's shop. And um, anyway, he he supplied the class with three inch pulleys for the motors. And um, after the class, he uh, he gave me a four inch pulley and he said, try this on your hammer. Or maybe this was between the first and second class. But anyway, he he sent me this larger size pulley and he said, give it a shot. And so I put it on there and it ran the hammer a little faster and it made the hammer hit noticeably harder. So it cycled faster and hit harder by changing from a three to a four inch pulley. And so now I've put them on all of them and it makes a big difference, but it oh, wow. depends on what size your tire is. So if you've got a larger tire, the three inch is probably what you need, but if you have a smaller tire, you probably want that four. Yeah, I'll have and, to uh, mess around. It makes with a big that. difference. Yeah, it was I was actually uh I mean, I've just made a, a couple new dies for my press, so I was I was considering making uh making some new dies for the hammer too, because I just have the uh I just have the flat the flat dies that are that that you make and heat treat at the class. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I keep flats in two of my hammers, and then in one of them, I've got a set of five-eighths round dedicated dies. So that's kind of a dedicated fullering machine, you know. Right, yeah. Um, and I'll use it to fuller areas of the railroad spike things that I'm making. And whenever I'm making a hammer, a lot of times I'll go to that one and clean up trough lines on the hammer with that dedicated set of dies. But for the most part, I keep flat dies in it, and I use die saddles. And I just use little inserts, which are basically just little L-shaped pieces of angle iron. And then I just weld a shape on top of the angle iron and capture it with a die saddle. And um, yeah, I took that class from Clay, um, the tire hammer tools class. And we made these, we made the die saddles in his class. And he made, we, we made die saddles for the top dies as well. Oh, wow. which which a lot of people will say is a no no. You know, don't put a die saddle on the top because if it comes loose, yeah, it, it could be really bad. I've but, actually had the die come loose before. Yeah, yeah, 
I've had mine come loose, I think, a couple of times. I think the last time I cinched it down, it's it stayed pretty good. Um, but but we made die saddles for the top die as well. And, um, man, you're talking about a quick change tooling. Yeah. You know, having both of them in there. Um, if yeah, I, was, I don't use the top <clears throat> die saddle much, but if I was going to use it, I would probably make it so that there's a dimple or something on the top die to really hold that saddle. Yeah firmly in place you know okay yeah because that that's that's pretty much what i'd be looking to do i, I like that design that layout yeah there's the, those die saddles make it super fast to change out you know and then a lot of guys will will make a little they'll make a a, a little square one inch stud holder on the side of the anvil so that they can put in uh, spring tooling you know that just sits on top of the flat dies oh, okay yeah just kinda, clamp it down into that thing on the side and um or you can make an entire die saddle that has the square hole on one side i think ken's custom iron actually makes those kinds of uh die saddles with the with the hardy hole off to the side for their um mz75 hammers mm -hmm. hmm. yeah tooling tooling that's a that's a huge rabbit hole, but yeah. <laughs> those, those, any, any kind of power hammer, um, you know, I had a 33 for a while <clears throat> as my first hammer and I had it almost a year before I took that class with clay. And after I took that class from with clay, I, I, I walked away from that class feeling like an idiot. I was just like, I've just been smashing things <laughs> on this hammer. I've not been doing anything, but just, smashing two flat things together you know and that's like if that's all you're doing with a power hammer you're missing out on so much you know yeah with with tooling and that class just opened that world of tooling up for me like like nothing else i i need to take a tooling class because we've got a 50 pound little giant and i would love to get some tooling made for it yeah yeah make life a lot easier so I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, th that the 50 pound little giants, they have the dies on those pretty big. Yeah. 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 I got, well, that's gosh, uh, probably a three by six, maybe. Yeah. That's almost double a tire hammer die. Yeah. So you've got a lot of room oh, for tooling there. Yeah. Well, mine's got the little dimples on each side so that it can screw on and everything. Yeah. That's good. Already ready for it, but. Don't know how to do it. So. Yeah, well, you know, I've I've done these classes down in Louisiana, um, and I keep going back because it's fun. You know, it's just it's a lot of fun hanging out with a bunch of other guys that like minded and they're making cool stuff. But um, there's been talk almost every time. There's been talk of trying to get a uh, a power hammer tools class uh, together. You know, after that and. I think it would just be wildly popular. I just, I don't have anywhere to host anything like that. If I had a, a shop big enough for that, I, I definitely would. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I've gotten three tire hammers now is that eventually I hope to be able to set up somewhere to do, um, you know, classes like that. I think it'd be super, super helpful and a lot of fun. Oh yeah. yeah. For sure. You know, if, if, if there's anybody, if you end up doing that tools class or John does or whatever, 
let me know if, if you need something specially like a special set of dies or something like the combo dies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I might be able to make something like that. Yeah. Combo dies are a no, no. If you're around Clay Spencer. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he does <laughs> not man. like combo dies at all. Why not? I, I thought, yeah, I mean, he just, he'll say, he'll tell you right away is like, learn to forge on flat dies. You don't need combo dies. And he's right. If you, once you learn how to forge on, on flat dies, right, you, you really don't need it. Um, but I've got a set of combo dies. I'm not using them though. You know, well, <laughs> I agree with that statement, but like the only time I've ever used combo dies was actually at, on the big blue hammer at Forged and Fire. Yeah. And it made it so quick and easy. And I, I do understand how to use regular dies, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, but like, those super narrow dies just or that super narrow section made it really quick and easy mm -hmm. to shape my tang on my, on a hidden tang knife mm -hmm. and it makes it way faster to spread stuff oh yeah a lot of little giants come with a with a set of combos i think yeah i request so. flats because i don't like combo dies i got combo dies on my press for for that reason not on my power yeah. hammer I, the, I like the die space you get with big flats, you know, being able to move stuff around. I just bought uh, steel that still hasn't showed up yet for big flat dies for my 20, 25 ton uh, coal ironworks. Yeah, nice. the real big flat ones. I think I got four inch by inch and a half thick. By That'd eight be inch. really nice. Yeah, real yeah big that's flat. nice. Yeah. Because I, I see everybody using them, I'm like, well, I want some. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they look awesome. I want to try some. You know, if do like, uh, I mean, they take they take those and they set them up uh, in a in like a T in a like a T shape. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I'm gonna make a full set of like a full flat size, I guess. That's gonna go all the way across, and then I don't know if I want to make since I I'll be able to get into it from the front. Most of, and I don't have a larger forge than eight inches, so none of my billets would be any larger than eight inches. So I'd be able to get a full press no matter what, even if I came in from the front and came straight. Yeah, in that's them. I'm jealous of that press. My I've got one of the Uncle Al's, which is you know, it's got that weird kind of uh, structure that if if you're not forging right in the center, mm -hmm. it well it can kind of rack left or right and. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of waiting for it to die so that I can get a, uh, a coal <laughs> iron someday. Yeah. Man, I had a 16 ton, one of their very first ones that they came out with. And then I held on to that thing for like four or five years. I sold it to Colton Aris, who's a the two-time two Forge and Fire youngest oh, champion. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he uses the Cookie Monster now. So he... uh passed it down to him and i got a 25 ton so but yeah it's uh i would say uh my 25 ton has definitely been the best investment for the shop if you're oh man i use my press all the time yeah me too even i actually someone was asking me recently i mean you know uh oh it was in regards to the tire hammer which i do love but i i've almost always said that i just i know it's kind of robs you of heat faster but i i just for whatever reason i prefer the precision of a press i don't know 
Yeah. And I still yeah. don't have one. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I don't know how. I know, you yeah, guys, long. You've got that. You've got all the parts laying there in the floor. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to put it together. Some guy's trying required. to build a press and, a, and restore a power hammer at the same yeah. time. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. How's that, how's that working out? <laughs> what's the status of the 250 right now? <laughs> I kind of, I don't know. I just kind of stopped on it. For now, I really I don't have much to do until I mean I I just got to finish wire wheeling it and paint it and then put it back together and put it together. But I am trying to find out actually. I think that the the way that thing's made, my mayor isn't like this. At least I don't think the uh, flywheel I believe had a leather piece of leather on it originally because really? on the flywheel there's these like copper rivets. That run all the wait, way wait. through on the huh. flywheel or on the spider. Well, uh, you're right on the clutch, yeah, or on the so, spider, yeah. I guess. Yeah, little giants have have the same thing, but we use the conveyor belt instead of leather. It lasts longer, and it doesn't have as much give, but it has it just lasts a lot longer. You can well, buy it from Sid. Okay, well, I sent him an whoever. email. Whoever owns that, actually, it's a uh, Dave Sloan. I, I sent him an email that. and I and I never heard back from him yet. Oh, yeah, I don't know, but man, yeah, would that's eat my lunch having that two fifty sitting there and not being able to use it. I mean, just <laughs> you, you I, I'd be out at I'd be, I'd be out there at like two thirty in the morning, you know, just like digging a hole and buying bags of quickrete to make my own foundation or something. <laughs> just it would oh, eat me up. But well, I mean, when you see the videos of them, though, they don't really look like they're like they're they're they they're a lot slower running. I'm sure that I mean, obviously, they hit a lot harder. Yeah. But oh, uh, I don't know. I just got to use it, and to do to it's use just, it, I got to build one hell of a foundation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just a. It's typical, just a whole. Just a typical craftsman. It's just like, oh yeah, I got it about half done, along with six other things. <laughs> well, like my brother was trying to sell me. He's like, "Come on, hoarder, don't don't be a hoarder." You know, <laughs> so you can you can sell flip this it. thing easily, flip it so quick, and make money. And I'm like, yeah, but what you don't understand is that I may yeah. never have the opportunity to yeah. own a hammer like this for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm ever, I know ever. you could. I could not let that thing go. Nope. Fix I it up just... and sell it to Derek. Yeah. <laughs> well, Derek almost paid more than I did. Look, for it. I offered that guy. I offered that guy some money. I offered him more than what Ethan paid for it, and he, he would not take it. Um, I'm glad no. Ethan got it though. But hey, right, yeah, right place, right time. Yep, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and yeah, even if, look, I, I told Ethan this when I stopped by the other day. I said, even if I had gotten it. It would have sat in my yard. I would have just moved it from his yard to my yard. Because even <laughs> as much as I say I would, I, I it would eat my lunch to not be using that thing. I I can't put that in my shop without. I mean, I don't even think my ceilings are big enough for it, you know. And uh, and so I would have to I would have to build a new section onto my shop around that hammer. And so mm-hmm. it would sit yeah, there for boy. a year or two. At Not least. to mention, uh, your wife would probably have some words for that yard ornament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it would not go over well. Heavy yard ornament. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, I had my phone on a tripod the other day when I was filming a video of me just using my 25-pound hammer. 
And when I watched the video, the video was shaking and the tripod was in the grass and the hammers, you know, in the shop on the concrete. And I was just thinking about it like, man, if my little 25 can do that, this 250 is going to shake the neighborhood. What's your, what's your, what's your substrate below, you know, how deep, how deep before you hit rock? Oh, uh, we'll hit water before we. I was about to say we don't hit we don't yeah, hit yeah. rock down here. We don't hit rock. All right, well, you good. just either hit clay or or water. All yeah, right. we'll hit yeah. water. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy to, to to talk about that because like uh, when I had my business, I used to I used to drill and pour footings for contractors doing decks and stuff like that. And like a code up here in New England is is forty two inches for a footing you know mm-hmm. to get below the frost line and everything but my cousin in north carolina he he did like some sort of like uh like pergola or something that required footing too and like code in north carolina is like 12 inches yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think it's like 24 or something here maybe yeah like <laughs> oh i don't know God. what it is here well, but my point there too, though, is is we got all the rocks up here too. So forty two inches—that's a tough forty two inches. Yeah, that's a deep. That's a deep. yeah. <laughs> Nebraska's—I well, think Nebraska's thirty six to forty two. So yeah, yeah. I I don't know of any houses down here that have a basement or even a crawl space. Like that's a common thing in Missouri. Oh and, my gosh! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we don't have we don't have basements around. Here. A, yeah, a slab house would not survive in the Northeast. Yeah, I mean you'd crack you'd crack it, you know, for sure. Oh yeah. Well, we crack ours down here too. It's just because <laughs> the ground's moving all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. They say that that they say it does. I haven't lived long enough to really see too much of it, or lived here long enough. Oh, I've had to I've had to put piers around my house. Oh, I've wow. got like I've got like twenty two piers around my house. From foundation work we had to have done they yes. literally pushed down uh, down in. yeah they pushed things like 30 feet down on the ground mm-hmm. keep your stuff from moving yeah well i'll tell you that like i mean just how soft the ground is and stuff down here like i teach 4-h uh, shotgun shooting and we went out there the other day and we were throwing targets and roll and skeet targets are supposed to be exactly like i think it's like 10 feet above the center stake yeah and so in the hoop yeah yeah and so we were throwing them and we're like my gosh they seem awful high we brought out the hoop and sure enough they were plenty high and the only thing we could think is that we had a big rain and that that those little trap and skeet houses moved just enough sure Uh uh-huh yep that's hilarious man we haven't had rain here since uh November. Are you kidding? October, really? maybe. How's your lake filling up? Yeah, we're about <laughs> minus a foot and a half right now. Wow. Yeah, Those we haven't had any ball, really. Oh, what it's it? so bad. We've got cracks like that, and God. it's terrifying me because the more my dam dries out, the more I'm like, I need it to slowly fill up now because if I get a big gully washer and I got big old fucking cracks in my dam... Just wave at it as it washes down the creek. <laughs> well, like I told you, my mom and dad they built a nine acre lake where I grew up, and it took three years to fill up. Wow. They don't have the the correct amount of runoff they should technically have, but yeah, it took 
I remember when I was younger, I saw, I was looking through a photo album. There's just a picture of the lake, 1993, and it just says lake is full. And I'm like, mom, like, what's this all about? He's like, yeah, it took three years for our lake to fill up. It was a big day. It was a big day. It's full. That's right. That what we should have moisture wise if we were getting the correct amount of moisture i should have like three or four feet in my pond right now i've got like a foot mm. oh wow yeah it's been really dry here no it, it's it's funny it's just like there's big snowstorm coming parts the red sea goes around lincoln and just keeps on going crushes everything right past us but wow. just goes right around our city by like 100 miles I guess you'll uh, have no choice but to be a full-time knife maker again. I know. I can't be a pond <laughs> I can't be a fisherman yeah. anymore. Hey, I can't be a fisherman Jeez. for now. Start making knives again. <laughs> Enlisted Craftsman is sponsored by Rock Rooster Footwear. Mike, Garrett, and I, all three have Rock Rooster boots, and I wear mine every day. They are very comfortable out of the box, and you order them online, they show up in just a couple of days. And for the price, you really can't beat them. And if you are interested in ordering a pair of boots, be sure to use our discount code. That is ENLISTED15. Again, that's ENLISTED15 at the end. Also, if you like what you're hearing, right now, pick up your phone Please give us a rating on Spotify, whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. We really appreciate it. And also, if you're interested in donating to us, we have a Patreon account now. It is called Enlisted Craftsman. And the great thing about our Patreon account is that half of everything we make gets donated to a veteran organization of some sort. We haven't figured out which one we're going to donate this year too but half of everything we get is going to go to a good cause to benefit veterans enlisted craftsman is also sponsored by maritime knife supply the louisiana custom knife show and the scooter brown band <laughs> well did either one of you guys have any other questions for derek I can't we've, believe you didn't have, bring up induction for it. I was just about to say, we've yeah. talked for an hour and no one has mentioned induction one time. I can't believe it. Ethan's nuts about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good My I don't know what to talk right. about, though. Well, yeah, let me ask you guys. Is is there any question you have about induction that I haven't already covered? I mean, well, yes. I, I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Somebody start. Have you tried to make stainless sand mai? Uh, no. Okay. I, that would... I understand it is a bear. Even No, if... it's easy. Well, well I understand it's a bear if you don't really know what you're doing with it. Like if you just grab some and say, I'm going to try some stainless sand mai mm -hmm. and you go at it, you're going to go, why is this not working? Mm -hmm. Yeah, unless you know what you're doing, and I don't know what I'm doing with it, so I've not tried it. Um, and I've done, I have done forge welding in the induction forge, but I've only done it for demonstration purposes. You know, like, mm -hmm. hey, look how easy it is to forge weld in the induction forge. But again, that has been just mild steel, you sure. know, or okay, raw. Yeah. So, I, I people, that's like the number one thing people ask me. 
um, about induction, one of the first thing people ask me, can I make Damascus in that? You know, and really the answer is I don't recommend it for that. It's Damascus is still much better in a gas forge or a Coke forge or something like that, you know, where you're going to get a good soak, you know, you, you want to think about induction, like, a a an acetylene torch, super hot yeah. tube or something that you're passing mm-hmm. steel through, you know, but mm-hmm. well, I think it could absolutely be done if you just take and like, y'all know how they weld a uh, stainless pipe mm-hmm. with TIG weld stainless yeah. pipe. With yeah. argon. You purge the inside of the pipe. Well, yeah. I've always thought, why couldn't you just take you a piece of ceramic pipe, purge it with nitrogen, you know, and I mean, you'd probably have to have a bigger unit than what you have. Yeah, you would need at least one of the, so they make the same company that makes mine makes some that are uh, what they call 25 kilowatt units that are, they require 480 volt three phase, Ooh. true three phase that you can't true use a VFD phase. with it. You got to have true three phase 480 to feed these machines, but they will get a, they'll get like a two inch round solid bar hot in no time. And uh, so with one of those machines, you probably could easily forge weld Damascus in it, you know. Would you ever consider like either building or buying a a, a phase converter to have yeah. one of those machines. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've I've given a phase converter uh, a lot of thought. I mean, right now I've got uh four or five VFDs in my shop right now. I've got one on a bandsaw, one on my 88 power hammer. I've got two on belt sanders and i think that's it but yeah i mean if i put a phase converter in my shop i could rip all those vfds out you know and it would be a lot uh simpler and you know less less to worry about and i could do stuff like that so i think i could do stuff like i think i could do a 480 i don't even know what the service coming into my shop I'd have to look and see what the service comes. They might have. They might have to run another cable to get you 480. Yeah, I might have, no, to, you, have to run another leg. Well, I mean, if you can, I mean, you should just be able to use a transformer to to I step mean, it up to what you need because you have yeah. a lot less amperage at 480. The, the 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 other barrier to entry to that is that it's really expensive. The, yeah, <laughs> those 25 <laughs> kilowatt machines are like, you know, the one that I would want. Is just the machine alone is probably around four or five grand, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, I've I've spent that kind of money on power hammers and stuff, but I don't know the, I don't know that I'm doing work right now that that really justifies that. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly I think what you have right now is perfect. I like I, I I like the opportunity to be able to isolate small areas like you do. I mean, that seems worth it. Just yeah. There. It, if I was going to do anything else uh, induction related, I would just get another induction machine. Exactly yeah. like what I've got. Another 15 kilowatt, put it right beside it with a different coil in it so I didn't have to swap coils out. Yeah. Yep. That is the that is the biggest pain in the butt with the induction machines is swapping your coil out. And so if you're doing a lot of different kind of work, then you're swapping coils out all the time. And you know, that's just, it's time consuming and you, you you get water leaks, you know, you're, cause you're, you're 
unscrewing and screwing these brass fittings back together and their compression fittings. And if you don't get them just right, when you turn the machine on, water starts to spray out and you have to sit there and fiddle with it. And, and it's just a pain. And it would be really nice to have another machine sitting right beside it with like a pancake coil or a taco shaped yeah. coil or something in there mm-hmm. that's multi, you know. So, yeah, I, mean, I I'm seriously may do that. Well, and something else I was thinking about, like, do you think there's a such quick connect fitting for that? That's been a topic of debate and discussion in the Facebook induction group. And so far, no one has figured that out yet. Like I was thinking about like a hydraulic work, like a hydraulic quick connect. Like a quick connect. Yeah. Well, how high a PSI is it running? It's not the it's not the water pressure that's the problem. It's that you lose you lose voltage or connect you lose conduct uh, conductivity yeah. and voltage with those quick connect fittings. You don't have so, enough contact. Yeah, it's not enough contact for some reason. So with the uh, fittings continuity. that are on the machine now, it's like it's it's brass fittings and copper and it's a compression fit. So you screw it together and it it comes together really good and you've got a good conductive uh joint there you know but the people that have given it a shot and tried to figure out how can i make these quick connects work they've actually gotten it to work but you but you lose uh power and you can't heat metal up the way that you should and so everybody kind of just comes back to well i guess we're back Mm -hmm. to these compression fittings and so um I didn't think about that aspect, but that's, that makes that's sense. That's the barrier right now is that no one has figured out a quick connect that gives the right kind of uh, conductivity uh, that you need for that. Um, what they've been talking about recently in that group, and this is a Facebook group, is um, is about these mobile wands that you can move around. And so you you have a, a flexible hose, basically, that comes off the machine, and that hose has some kind of wire that goes through or around the hose to the end. And so you've seen these bolt busters, right? That you can, the little induction heater bolt busters you can put over a bolt. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that, but it's a wand that you can then move to the work and heat the work up. And uh, those seem to be limited in how far you can stretch it without losing conductivity. Because like the machine has a, um, a number on there when you press the pedal and you've got the machine turned all the way up like my machine maxes out at something like 630 amps i think um and we think that number is kind of arbitrary between makers because one machine that's a 15 kilowatt it'll max out at 700 watts and then this other person's machine that's a different brand it'll max out at 630 watts but they are or amps and but they seem to heat the material exactly the same speed and capability so hmm. the, those numbers seem to be kind of arbitrary but when you connect that wand up to that machine and you start stretching that out um these machines it's like they'll top out at 300 you know they can't quite push enough juice to heat um quite as they should and so you if know you there's put- a lot of things that people want to try with these machines, but generally speaking, everybody kind of comes back to just using them the way that they come from the factory. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you, have you ever, uh, like, what's the word? Uh, shut yours down by giving it too much of a load? Uh, I, well, 
it's got a bunch of fault protection stuff in it. So it's got uh, it's got water alarms in it. So if you don't if you're not feeding it enough water pressure, it'll alarm and shut down. If you're feeding it water that's too hot, it will alarm and shut down. And if you wow. short out the material in the coil, it will alarm and reset the cycle. So if I've got a copper coil and I'm putting material in there and I touch two sides, it'll throw a spark and it'll the numbers will drop down to zero and it's it's like you press the pedal again you know it's like it stops it it shorts the machine out and then it starts heating again and so i've never had it do anything other than those three things the water alarm i've i've had it water alarm on me and i've shorted it out um but i've never i've never had that be a problem like i've always been able to get it working again I do sure. know um, of a guy who's running these machines in a production shop and he arced it like that. You know, he made two points of contact in the coil and he smoked some electronic component inside of it. Like mm. it threw a spark and then the machine died. And so I'm always kind of nervous about that. And so I try not to do that if I can avoid it, but I, I do it all the time and it doesn't seem to be... <laughs> It doesn't seem to be killing the machine. So I think these machines are like any kind of Chinese electronic. You know, it's like if you plug the thing up and you get it to run past the first 30 days, it's probably going to run forever. You know, hmm. it's if it's going to die, it's going to die in the first 30 days. And that guy's machine was, was like that. It died shortly after he got it. So it's kind of like I, I think his was going to die at some point anyway from, you know, a faulty piece. And yet... And, mm -hmm. And and that's rare. I don't I don't hear of a lot of people having these machines and then they just quit working. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's like they run pretty reliably unless they die shortly after they get them. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked that is because you remember that big coil at my place you saw that I was yeah. making. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I I exploded a capacitor in the power supply and the actual unit itself when I <laughs> had a huge piece of steel on it. Oh, and yeah. that, that's why I was asking about the load because I, I put that thing to its limits. Apparently yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know how I could overload mine. I mean, uh, it's got a basically a zero to 10 power knob and I have it set to 10 and I press the pedal and it heats material up and it'll heat the material up until the material starts to melt basically and it but it doesn't ever go like i can't push that machine beyond that 630 640 amp you know once it reaches that level it, it doesn't keep trying to go past that you know so i don't know if, if that's some internal circuitry that's preventing it from going past that mm -hmm. you know but um you know i just i put the steel in there when it gets hot enough to forge i i, I lay off the pedal you know yeah that's awesome yeah it's 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 changed my world in the shop and i have reorganized the things that i make and sell around induction you know i, I bet yeah i mean with the ease and speed why not yeah and and there's some like uh um osborne is his name he's up in the north he's a forged and fire guy runs a uh chad osborne i think he runs a knife uh, teaching facility up on Mackinac Island or Mackinac Island. And he's, I think he's got three of these machines in, in oh, wow. use and they're, 
they're running them all day, all week with students coming in and they're forging knives with it, you know? And so he's kind of like the, uh, he, he's the, he's the go-to guy. If you've got questions about, Hey, can these things work for forging knives? He's the guy I would point you to because mm-hmm. he's doing it all the time. And like the last few, the last couple of knives that I've made, I've done in induction and it's worked well for that. You just have to, you just, it's like any tool. You just have to know how it works and right, yeah. figure out how sure. to use it for Absolutely. your application. Yeah. Well, everyone, it was uh, pretty awesome for the three of us to uh, sit down and have a chat with Derek Melton. Derek, uh, is there anything you want to plug in? Maybe you want to shout out your social media platforms or anybody to check out your work that doesn't know you already? <laughs> yeah, if you want to find me, it's just my name, Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm out there on most platforms. There's funny enough. There is another Derek Melton out there who is a knife maker in the, in the <laughs> Northwest. Yeah. Same there's name, another, same spelling and everything. Yeah. There's another Ely out there too. I've been contacted by someone saying, Hey, I love this knife you made me. I'm like, I never made you a knife. <laughs> yeah. I give them, I give the other guy a hard time because I own the domain, DerekMelton.com. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I give him a hard time. I tell him I'm the real Derek. As far as I know, I'm the only muffin man. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, anyway, everybody, uh, thanks for checking in and listening to us. Uh, be sure to give us a rating and uh, hope you guys can follow along. And uh, we'll, be, be, eh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah.